The gospel this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6 and then 16 through 18. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may get praise from people. I assure you that is the only reward they will get. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not be like hypocrites They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you that is the only reward they will get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites, They distort their faces so that people will know that they are fasting. And I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you are fasting to people, but only to your father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees what is secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was about 15 years old, uh, we got a new youth pastor at my church. Um, New youth pastor, new family minister is always an exciting time in a church, at least it was for me. Um, And and this new youth pastor came in and he brought in a lot of interesting and kind of new ideas. At least they were new to me uh, as a teen. Um, Really, I really credit that kind of uh, beginning and that new youth pastor with sort of the awakening or the reawakening of God within me that kind of set me on the path that, that well, you find me here today. Um, I received my call to ministry in that youth group. I, I had some significant spiritual breakthroughs in that youth group. And so, so it was a wonderful thing, and, and the youth pastor was a wonderful minister. And, but, but one of the interesting things that, that, that happened as, as he came in is he actually moved to our church from Yakima, Washington, um, we were in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and, and the youth group that he had in Yakima, Washington was really, really big. Um, so big, in fact, that they didn't meet at their church. They, they met at a, an old airplane hangar at the municipal, well, it, it's actually an international airport in Yakima, but it, it, it's a municipal airport, really. Um, they actually met in an old airport. They re- rented out an airplane hangar, and so they had this aviation theme to their youth group, right, in Yakima. And and so when, when that youth pastor came to our church, he kind of brought that aviation theme, um, probably because he had all the gear already and didn't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, so he kind of brought that theme. So we had a lot of aviation stuff, um, so much so that, that he even sold bomber jackets with our youth group logo and stuff on them. And this is the bomber jacket uh, from my youth group. Um, I wasn't embarrassed to put this on until Jen brought it to me this morning because she said, I can't believe you wore that. But here it is. <laughs> I don't anymore. This is the bomber jacket. And, and, and this was really exciting for some of us. I was 15, remember, to have in the youth group. Um, because it said a lot about who we were, about what we did. It had big old patches on the back. Um, 
I don't even remember what it says. I think it says David's hanger. But again, it was something fun to do. It was something that brought us together as a youth group, right? Uh, sort of a common identity that we had and shared together. And it was cool enough that I said, I want one of these for Christmas. And this is a Christmas present that I got from my parents. Um, there it is. Now, you could buy these, youth, these jackets in lots of different colors. I think they had red and uh, all sorts of different ones. Olive green, right? You could get brown. I got the classic black. Um, but part of kind of the whole shtick of, of the youth group was that there were two colors of bomber jackets that were reserved um, that you couldn't buy. You could only be gifted or given by the youth pastor. One was for, for guys and one was for girls. And for guys, it was, it was blue. It was the blue bomber jacket. And it was very, very special because once a year, our, our youth pastor would, would give out a blue bomber jacket to the person, in this case the male, who, who exemplified servanthood most to the youth group. Can I tell you, I wanted the blue bomber jacket. Which probably tells you a little something about where this story's going. Now, to be fair, I, I was as involved in youth group far be, before all of this happened. I, I was there almost every day of the week. Um, literally, by the time I was 18, I was at church probably five days a week at one way or another. Um, whether it was prayer at six in the morning, weekdays, or uh, discipleship training on Sundays, youth group Wednesday nights, whatever. I, I was there. Oh, this is really warm. Sorry, I can't wear it anymore. Mission accomplished on that thing. Keeps you warm. Um, anyway, I was there a lot. I, I did almost everything. I, I came early on Wednesday nights to set up sound because we met in the gym and we had to set up chairs and sound and stuff like that. It, it's just something that, that I like to do. I like to be involved. And if there's something I can do that somebody tells me to do, I'm actually pretty good at just showing up and doing it. I like to be of use and of service. So, so it wasn't all completely selfish that I wanted the blue jacket. But when the idea was introduced, I thought, hey, I'm here a lot, and I'm doing a lot, and I'm serving a lot, so I certainly deserve the blue jacket. How devastated I was when the time for the first blue jacket to be given was, and I didn't get it. Now, that was a wake-up call for me. I was devastated that I wasn't publicly recognized for doing the things I was doing already. Something clicked in me there. Um, I recognized the hypocrisy of that feeling, that feeling of anger or jealousy. Don't get me wrong, the person who got it deserved it, right? Because <laughs> he didn't brag about it, he just did it. There is something in me that I realized at that particular point, and really I've known since then, I like recognition. Now, I don't think I am alone in that sort of desire for recognition of doing things or being something. But I think I have a little bit more of that in me than the average person. Now, you may see that in me, or you may not. I don't know how well I hide it. I don't know how well I kind of push that down and go, oh, this is not why I'm doing things. But I like to be recognized. I want the awards. I, I liked being recognized for my academic scholarship. I like when they said cum laude behind my name when I graduated from, high, from college and summa, or not summa, magna, when I graduated from seminary. I like that. 
It's something in me that likes to be recognized, that feels important when other people recognize my hard work or my achievements or my talent or whatever you might call it. And that's not all bad per se. But when it comes to spirituality, that can cause some problems. At least Jesus identifies that there are problems with that kind of idea when it comes to our spiritual lives before God. I think Jesus knows that we like to be seen. Jesus knows that even the most shy of us like to be recognized. We may not want to be called up front, but we don't mind someone touting our achievements. We like to be known. And how easy it is to take that particular idea, that particular weakness maybe in some of us, into our spiritual lives together. It's pretty obvious that we do that often. And I'm not going to get too much into where I see that in other people because not too far down the list is do not judge lest you be judged. So I'm going to try to avoid that. Suffice it to say I recognize it at least in my own self. And and oftentimes I react very, very against that when I see it in other people. And sometimes to a fault, I, I want to keep kind of my piety and public piety secret. Because after all, my audience isn't you. It's God, is it not? And so we, we come to this point in the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus has been kind of talking through, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And, and he's talked about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And, and so these are kind of very large, big kind of theological ideas. And so Jesus kind of turns a little corner and brings it to a very granular idea of what it looks like when we practice our piety before others. It's a hard passage because Jesus has already told us to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. And and now what's Jesus telling us to do? Well, hide what you're doing. Don't let others see it. But Jesus recognizes in us, right, this tendency and says, beware of of practicing your piety, the the things that you do in in worship of God or even in response to what God has called us to do. He says, says, beware of doing it so as to be seen by others. Jesus isn't saying don't do things publicly. He's saying check your heart before you do because Jesus knows what we're like inside and Jesus knows we like to be recognized. And so Jesus gives kind of three basic um, examples of how people, at least in his day, could or tended to do this. First, he starts with giving alms. I want to point out at the beginning of all of this stuff that Jesus doesn't say give alms. Jesus presumes that this is already happening. Right? So, so he's not giving instructions to his disciples about things they should start doing. He doesn't say start giving alms. But when you do, he says when you give alms. He presumes that they are praying, not, you should really pray. He says, when you pray, he presumes that they're fasting. He doesn't say, you know, a good spiritual practice would be to fast. He says, when you fast. Again, these are things that Jesus would presume and is presuming that his disciples, that those who are listening to this are already doing. So so maybe when we listen to this, try not to think of things I need to start, but I need to check my heart when I do them. Now we should do that. But what are the things we do now 
in response to God, acts of piety, that we need to make sure we aren't doing for the recognition, but rather for God. So he begins with giving alms. When you give alms, don't be like the hypocrites who really, really love to see other people give money. Do you know what in fundraising circles they tell you to do when someone gives don't money? Publicly recognize them. You may not know that, but in, in nonprofit work, in church work, I serve on the trustees of a university. What happens when someone gives a good big gift? You recognize them. Now, I can't speak for the motives of the people who gives good gifts, all those gifts. I'm not trying to speak to that. But it shows that inherent in our hearts, we like to be recognized, no matter the reason we give. Oftentimes, recognition means we'll do it again. But Jesus says, when you give, don't blast the trumpets. Don't broadcast it everywhere that you're giving. Give in secret, he says. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Left hand, right hand, there we go. I'm left-handed, it's different for me. Jesus says, when you give, do it so much that you, you deceive yourself as to what you're doing and why you're doing, right? Obviously, this is hyperbole, right? Because you can't give, you know, our pants don't work independent of one another, let alone our minds, right? So, so Jesus is obviously working and talking in hyperbole here, but, but what's Jesus saying? What's the root of what's going on? Beware of why we're giving, now, again, I, I react very strongly to when I see public giving and sort of the trumpets going on. The thing that immediately goes into my head is, is, is you've, you might have seen videos of, of churches who, like, order a pizza. They call the pizza person on, on the stage, and then they give them a $1,000 tip. Very generous, don't get me wrong. But if it's on live stream, it blows my mind. Now, I'm not, I really, I'm not judging I'm just telling you what, what my reaction is. Because would I do that? And I think, I don't know if I could do that without my motives being wrong. Again, what they do, I'm not judging that. But when we give, when we do things that are nice specifically to show it off, there is danger there. And so Jesus, again, I don't think Jesus says, you know, if you have a chance to give in public, don't do it because you can't give in public. I think what Jesus is saying is if you have opportunities when you give, do it in such a way as your motives are to please God and respond to the Spirit rather than who might be watching. Don't wait to make sure someone is watching you, but rather go do it. And make sure your motives are right. Why? Because Jesus wants to remind us who our audience is at all times. At all times, the, the, the person that I'm trying to impress, so to speak, should not be any of you. I wish I could say I did that perfectly. Because there are many times I've tried to impress you. Eh, we'll see how successful that was. But really, 
What is my job? It's not to keep you happy. It's not to make you think I'm smart, generous, funny, knowledgeable, wise. That's not why I'm here. At least it shouldn't be. When I get up, what should I be doing? Working for the audience of one, the God who has called me, whom I believe has placed me in this place for a reason. So in some ways, it's not of ultimate importance whether you're happy with me. It's whether I'm being faithful to God. And so I have to check my motives as to when I do all sorts of things. When I preach, I stand up here a lot and talk a lot. I have opportunities to do performance, so to speak. The question is, why am I doing it? I have to check myself when I pray up here. Because sometimes I'm, I'm praying and I'm, I'm, I'm also like praying to instruct other people and I have to check myself and go, wait a minute, why am I praying? Who am I praying to? I have to check whether I put on my prayer voice. Have you ever heard? If you hear me do the prayer voice, please let me know. You might notice this in me that perhaps when I go to pray, my voice changes to sort of the soft and wispy voice. Again, I have to check. What are my motives in doing that? Why why do I need to soften my voice to pray? Especially because I'm not praying. Sorry, I hope you don't take this wrong. I'm not praying to any of you. I might be praying on your behalf as a pastor. But I have a different audience, so to speak. And so Jesus encourages, when you, when you give alms, do it in secret so as to not draw attention to yourself. I don't know if any of you know this, but someone actually got fed in our church during worship service last Sunday. You, you may have not have known that. I, I'm sure you didn't because the person who did it did not call attention to themselves. I just know because I sit and I can see through the open doors and I heard the microwave. You might have heard that beeping during service last week. If you did, that was someone being fed. Nobody came and stopped service. They just did the thing that God had asked them to do, which is to feed someone who came in off the street looking for a meal. That is a wonderful deed done in secret. Not for the audience of me or of any of you, but because they responded to what God was asking. This is what Jesus would like. This is what Jesus wants. This is what Jesus thinks we ought to be doing, right? Not concerned, not overly concerned with who sees or who doesn't, but rather concerned with the response in love to another person out of a movement of the Spirit of God. So when we give alms, again, Jesus is assuming that we are giving away money to people less fortunate. Jesus is assuming that. He says, when you do it, however, don't do it for recognition. You may get recognition, but don't do it for that. Do it because God has commanded generosity in us and formed generosity in our hearts. And the same goes with prayer. Now, public prayer is an interesting very, very different thing than it used to be. 
But Jesus brings that same idea to bear. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like people who, who go out and, and kind of close their eyes, but keep one open to look to see who's watching. Don't do it on the street corners so that people will see you. Don't, don't crave an audience when you pray, when you sit down before your heavenly father. He says, rather, what are you to do? Go into your room, shut the door, right? The idea of a prayer closet is very operative here. And pray there to Almighty God. Because it doesn't matter who else is watching. Because there's nobody else out there who can really grant our prayers. There's no one else who it really matters we commune with on that level. Jesus says, go and make sure you are there for God and for God alone. And God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Shut the door. Close the brines. Again, feels sometimes problematic as a pastor who prays in public all the time. I don't think Jesus is saying don't pray in public. That's what temple worship was about. And Jesus never said to stop doing that. Rather, Jesus says, when you pray, make sure you are speaking to the right person. Make sure you are doing it to please the right person which is your father in heaven who sees what is done in secret. And and then Jesus begins to teach a little bit more on prayer. We'll get into the Lord's prayer next week. So I'm just saving that. You might wonder why I didn't read that, but that's why, because we're doing it next week. But Jesus says, also, when you pray, don't don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who who have so many gods in a multiple way and who think that they have to speak in certain ways with certain phrases to get God's attention. Don't think that because we speak lots of words, God will somehow magically hear. In fact, Jesus says, God knows what you are going to ask before you ask it. Interesting. Jesus is contrasting this relationship of the kingdom of God that the people have with with the heavenly father that is different from, from the religions around them. Right? So, so the religions around in the Roman world, right? you had to say the right words and you had to offer the right sacrifice to the right gods. Right? Make sure that, I don't know, Baal is happy so that there's a good harvest and make sure that Asherah is happy so that, so that there's lots of fertility. Right? All this sort of thing is, uh, of, of appeasing the gods and making sure that the right incantations were used. That's magic, right? Because if the right incantations are used, then it will affect the, the sort of result you want from the God whom you're praying to. And Jesus is saying that our relationship to the Heavenly Father is completely different from that. God doesn't particularly have a set litany that we're to use when we ask for things. In fact, Jesus says it doesn't, I mean, it matters that you ask, but, but that God knows. So if God already knows, we don't have to make sure we formulate it and package it right. Because God knows. Which also means that God cares. Which also means that God was listening and cared before you started praying in the first place. We have a different relationship, a relationship of a different kind with this God, Yahweh, than the nations around. So he says, when you pray, you don't have to be loud. Some people are loud when they pray. That's okay. But he's saying, you don't have to be loud to get God's attention. And you certainly don't have to be loud to get the attention of people around you. 
God knows what you need. God listens to you in the secret place. Paul will even say, right, that even when we don't know how to pray, the spirit intercedes. And, and translate the groans and the inner groanings of our heart into requests before God. You might see here that what Jesus differentiates is these aren't transactional things that we're trying to appease anybody. These are acts of relationship to Yahweh God. It's a relatedness, a relationship, not transactional, not saying the right words, not giving enough money, not giving enough money so enough people see, but the depth of relationship that God calls us into of a different kind and a different scope than perhaps the people are used to seeing in the nations around them. Jesus then teaches a little bit on prayer, which we'll talk about next week. And then gets into fasting, which is interesting at this time of year, which is Lent. We just did Ash Wednesday on, on Wednesday. And, and in many circles, certainly Christian circles, there are, what are you giving up for Lent? And Jesus talks about fasting. He says, when you fast, again, presumes people are fasting. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to look sad and miserable when they're fasting. They disfigure their faces. They, they rend their garments. They put ashes on their heads so that everyone around knows how pious they are because they're fasting. But Jesus says, when you fast, I mean, ultimately what Jesus says is get up. Take a shower, shave, go out and do what you do normally. Because you're not fasting to please anyone around you. You're not fasting because they can't do anything about what you need or what you are asking of God. They can't offer forgiveness, which is what you might be fasting for. So rather fast for the one in whom you have ultimate relationship, and that is God. And the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, whatever that might be. During this time of year, again, in Christian circles, especially some of the ones I run in, right? You know, you might run into somebody and you're having a cup of coffee and they go, "Ah, I gave up coffee. Right? Why are we doing these things? Now, it's appropriate if someone offers you coffee and you're not Drinking coffee for Lent, it's okay to say, I'm not drinking coffee right now. Again, I think this is hyperbole. What Jesus is saying is, whom are we trying to impress? What he says with each of these is, those who do this to impress others have already received their reward, or will we receive their reward in full? Which basically, as Jesus is saying, is if people are doing anything that they say is for God in order to please other people, in order to get recognition, then they might get recognition, but that's all they're going to get out of it. Right? Some people like that. Some people live for recognition. What Jesus is saying is you'll get recognition. You'll have your reward, but, but God is not terribly impressed by that. God's not terribly impressed when I do good things, especially good things God has already told me to do. It's not like when I pull out a dollar or whatever and give it to a charity or, or donate it to Ukraine or whatever I, I might have done. It, it, it's not that, that God looks at it and says, that's awesome, dude. 
God might say, well done. God might say, you listened. Woo-hoo. But if I'm doing that just to get your recognition, that's about all the reward I'll receive. But, but Jesus continues says in each of these instances that the father who sees what is done in secret will reward what is done in secret. That is, it doesn't matter if everyone sees or if nobody sees. God sees. Which is an interesting point to consider, I think, at the end of this. It doesn't matter if anyone else sees. God sees you. A lot of times, we do things that we think, if only another person could see what we were doing. Sometimes I see that, like in, in people around me. If only others knew what that person was doing. Right? Why aren't we celebrating that person? God sees. God sees what we do in secret. God sees what no one else does. God sees what you pray in the corner of your closet when words can't express what you're feeling. When no one else knows the heartbreak you're going through, God sees. When you are moved with compassion for another person in the middle of the night to pray for them or donate to them, God sees. And God's really the only one that matters anyway. Because when everything else is stripped away, it's God who gives and who takes. It's God who offers life and salvation. It's God whose opinion of me matters most. I could gain the whole world, Jesus says, but what use is that if I forfeit my soul? I could be the most famous person in the universe, have the most Twitter followers, whatever, but what good is that if I have failed to impress the person I claim to represent? And so again, I don't think Jesus is telling us to sort of obsessively not do things just because other people will see. Again, Jesus isn't trying to lay down new laws for us here. He's trying to, to turn our hearts back towards God. Right? I, I used to have, in high school, I go back to high school. There's some weird stuff going on there. I would fast. I would fast often, but I would obsessively, like almost to the point of being in moral quandaries about lying to someone if they asked me to go to dinner or if I'd like food. As if God would want me to perjure myself in order to be secret about fasting. That's not what God wants. God just wants me to say, no, I'm fasting or I'm not eating or I'm skipping lunch, whatever it might be, right? That's not that hard. It's okay if people know But the point is to do it in such a way so that we're not trying to get people to know what we're doing. Because when we do things for attention, attention we will get, but that will be our only reward. And we won't have secured the attention of the one that actually matters. For quite frankly, his attention is always on us. God always sees us which is fantastic when we do good things, which is a little scary when we do bad things. Perhaps that's part of where Jesus is going here. Your father sees the good and the bad. 
and listens and loves and sees us anyway. For God has offered us salvation in Christ, not because we're good people, but so that we might be people of his kingdom. Because God loves us and wants us there. And asks us to be a people who demonstrate his kingdom through alms, through prayer, through fasting. These are ways we demonstrate the kingdom. And guess what? Whether we do it for attention or not, in fact, when we don't care about whose attention we get, inevitably someone sees and someone knows. And that gives us opportunity to say why we do these things. The hypocrite does it in order to be seen, to be seen as righteous. The person of the kingdom does it for God, and when it is seen, gives glory to our Father who is in heaven. For me, this is what it means to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. Not by doing things specifically to be seen, but by doing things in response to the Spirit of God in us so that God gets the credit. I am good because I am called by the Father. I am able to be generous because I am called to be generous. It is not a virtue of mine. I am not by nature generous. It's the Spirit at work in me, hopefully conforming me into the image of God so that I might give God the glory, so that others might know, so that others might receive. It is a life that is formed and transformed by the example of Jesus Christ, who goes before, who, who does not do what he does for the, for the cheering of other people. If that were the case, it would have been over in the desert at temptation, Right? Because what does Satan do? Satan tempts him with all these things that would get him recognition. Bow down to me and I will give you the kingdom of the world. If that were Jesus' ultimate goal, to be recognized, to have power, could have been over right there. But Jesus' goal was not that. Jesus' goal was to please the Father, which meant going the Father's route, which means refusing to use the powers of the world and offering himself for the sake of many on the cross. And so it seems appropriate for me to end today by taking communion together. You may have noticed we're in a different setup today. Um, some of you haven't seen this setup in almost exactly two years. This is our family Sunday setup when we take communion together. And it's not arbitrary. This setup is very specific It's to remind us that at the center of our worship is not a band. They're wonderful, by the way. I'm grateful for them. At the center of our worship is not a preacher. At least it shouldn't be. At the center of our worship is what this table represents, and that is the crucified and risen Messiah. This candle is meant to represent, to help us draw our attention, to remind us the spirit of the Lord is present. And it is this reason for Christ that we are here, not for anything else. We could have the best band in the country. But if we weren't doing this for God, it would mean nothing. It would be a concert, a good concert perhaps, but it wouldn't be worship. You could have 
the best preacher in the world. But if I were here just tickling your ears for your sake, to be entertained or whatever else, you would have a TED talk and it wouldn't be worship. Because none of that's why we're here. They all facilitate, I hope, our focus on the person, the presence, the teaching, the power, and the spirit of the crucified and risen Messiah. That is why we're here. That is who we serve. That is the one whom we are trying to impress, so to speak. That is the Father who sees what is done in secret. And hears our prayer and sees our needs even before we ask. Who calls us, who were once enemies of the cross, to be sons and daughters of Most High God. That is the reason we're here. That we might be formed in Christ's image. A people of the kingdom of God. I will say, if you have not gotten communion elements yet, I saw some of you go out and get them, but they are available outside on the table. And I do want to say, you don't have to be a member of this church, of this denomination, in order to receive what Christ has offered in his broken body and shed blood. You need only to desire to receive the grace that Jesus gives, the grace into salvation that he offers to all who would believe. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that you have gathered us here today. Lord, we thank you for this reminder that we have an audience of one. Lord, that you are the one whom we serve and it is you whom we are acting in response to. Lord, it does not matter if one person sees or nobody sees what we do. Lord God, you see. You see our acts of obedience, our acts of charity. You see it when we are fasting, when we are praying, when we are trying to pour out our hearts to you. Lord, you see and you hear. And Lord, it is not by our virtue or our goodness that you accept us. It is because we are a people called by your name who accept what you have done in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is by your grace alone that we are accepted, that we are seen. So Lord God, may all we do be in response to that. Response to your grace. Not trying to earn your love by the adulation of a thousand fans. Not trying to earn your love by doing better, trying harder. But Lord, rather responding to your grace with grace of our own. Which, with grace that you have given us through your spirit. Lord, may we be compassionate because you have shown us compassion. May we show kindness because you have shown us kindness. May we show love because you have first loved us. Lord God, we ask anew that you would form this in us 
And Lord God, we thank you that you have promised to complete what you have started in us. Lord, that you will do, that you will hear, Lord God, that you will act. And Lord, we recognize that it is right and good and joyful always, everywhere, to give thanks to you. For you are Father Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Lord God, you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. Lord, when we turned away, when our love failed, your love has remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity. You made a covenant to be our sovereign God, and you spoke to us through your prophets. And so, Lord God, in response with your people and in the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in the unending hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, O Lord, and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick. He fed the son. Hungry, he ate with sinners. And by the baptism of his suffering and death, he made with us a new covenant by the water and the spirit. And the Lord ascended. He promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And so, Lord God, we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, we remember that after supper, he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord God, we admit that our motives for good works and for acts of faith are not always as pure as they should be. Lord God, we recognize that you see and you hear what is done in secret, and you see and hear the desires and the thoughts of our hearts. Lord God, we lift ourselves to you today. Lord, asking to search us and to try us. Lord, asking that you would empower us by your spirit to live in the ways that you have called us to live according to your kingdom. And so, Lord God, we proclaim this, the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and that Christ would come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on all who are gathered here and on these gifts of the bread and of the cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And it is your name and the name that is above every name, the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you. Take and eat and receive his grace today. This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and receive his grace today. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for these gifts of your body and your blood. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that we have an audience of one. 
Lord, that you have called us, that you have empowered us, that you have saved us, and that you have redeemed us, and that we are to be a people molded and shaped by your kingdom. Lord God, search our hearts. Enable us anew by the power of your spirit to do things for your glory and for your glory alone. Lord, that our responses of obedience may be just that. Responses of faithfulness to you and to you alone. For you alone are the one who has called us and saved us and empowered us to be people of your kingdom. Lord, so that the world might see, so that you might receive the glory. Pray this in your name.